going on, fuckers, and welcome back to the Seki Life Podcast. Alright, welcome back to the Seki Life Podcast, episode 4. Today, joining me, we have Sean Jeffries. Sean, thanks very much for coming. Absolute pleasure. Now, Sean, as we do every single episode, if you just want to give me a 30-second elevator pitch, how you started security, how long you've been doing it, etc. Whatever you think is relevant. Well, I first started security in 2001 when I left the Air Force and went reserve. I worked for two years and then I was charged with grievous bodily harm and lost my security license for 10 years. Finally got it back in uh, 2018. And then I just started working as a bouncer with my MMA mates at Salamanca and uh, things went from there and i Ended up working at the hospital for five years and got fired from there. And um, that's a funny story. And now I'm working at this. And it's the best security job a family man could ever hope for who doesn't want to do anything. Now, do you get much trouble out at the end? Absolutely none in the last six months. But there are lots of things that we have to do there that other guards probably won't have to do, like monitor science experiments and computers and monitor heat alarms and make sure that the uh, plankton isn't getting overheated. Things that you really, most security guards wouldn't think they'd need to do, but it's easy. It's pretty easy. There's a phone. When something wrong is going wrong, it gives you an alarm and you just call someone else and they figure it out. Half the time I'm just watching YouTube videos if I'm not patrolling around. But uh, it's constantly night shift. I wouldn't want to work there in the daytime. I'm pretty much <laughs> a secretary, which is the worst job in the world. But for me, it's a perfect job. I get to walk around at night and get left alone. I get paid for it. Beautiful. So if we tick back to when you first had your security license, you said you got done for grievous bodily harm. Was that while working security or was that... An isolated it incident. It was an isolated incident in the Air Force on Anzac Day. I had just gotten my security license and hadn't actually worked in security yet. I went out and drank with the uh, Air Force full-timers. They invited me. This guy, he was a renowned cockhead called Matty Gray. <laughs> he, he looks like half man, half goblin. Real pointy chin, pointy nose. He doesn't even look human, really. And he just he came up to me and he said, "Oh, are you a are you an Aggie? Like that's an air, that's what's called an air defence guard. We were like the ultimate security guards. We defend the base. We patrol in groups of five to ten men. We use machine guns, rocket launchers, landmines. We get trained in lots of different things. We just p- patrol in smaller groups compared to the army because we were mainly designed to look for." Uh, Special forces who are also in small groups doing reconnaissance. We're looking for people doing reconnaissance operations and killing them. That was the job. Yeah, right. So, I mean, that sounds like quite an exciting gig. What made you want to go from something like that to something like the security industry? Uh, Well, we all got forced to go reserve for some reason because when we joined... We all got told we could transfer to full-time at the end of the two years. Things change and everyone in my platoon, that's not what it's really, that they called a flight in the Air Force, but you know, sure. the same thing. Everyone was forced to go reserve. They, people didn't have anywhere to live and they just got kicked out of the Air Force and said, oh, you can come back on the weekends. Like, no, I, just, I was just living back with my parents and had to look for another job. So work isn't that regular. Some people are meant to guard things, I suppose, and... I think I'm one of them. 
That's fair enough. So let's all right, let's fast forward to you've done your 10 years of being a good citizen and now you've got your security license back. Did you say that was 2018? Yes. 2018. And where'd you go from there? Where was your first gig? First gig was uh, Grape working for Hassan. What a fine establishment yes. that is. Well, it was amazing because I had never actually really been in a nightclub and I was 34, 35. I found them annoying and loud. Yep. Like you meant to go there to pick up girls. When I was young, I'd go to nightclubs and no one could even hear what I'm saying and I just didn't like it really. I just thought, yep. how do you how do you communicate with people here? Now I know all you have to do is dance and rub your dick on <laughs> and that's, that's, what, that's how people pick up in nightclubs. And I, I got to observe that. <laughs> it's like watching chimps. <laughs> I, I would be on the dance floor and I got to observe human behaviour at its most primal level for the first time. And funnily enough, I got more female attention being a fat old 33-year-old, 35-year-old than I ever did when I was a young man because just because I wasn't pissed off my head. I was standing there with my arms crossed back against the wall and girls were flying to me. But, I, you know, Matt was mar- married at that time and there was nothing I could do about it, but I just thought girls like bouncers. That's what I found on the first security shift is one girl asked me to take her home in the first hour. I mean, she didn't even know me and, uh, you know, that, that and that's not something I'm used to, but it's obviously the authority figure. Yep. Some girls are attracted to that when they're fucked off their mind on drugs. And how long did you stay at Grape for? Years. I'd like to talk more about my first shift. It was quite eventful. Tell us all about it. uh, Louie, I'm sure he'll be on the podcast one day. He just ejected your generic stocky Tezza Bogan guy. He was standing there and he was doing the classic, Oh, why'd you fucking kick me out? And he's explaining, Louie's trying to explain to him and the Bogan said... um, well, I might as well give you a fucking reason to kick me out. And he threw a punch at Louie. Louie grappled him, and I had lots of adrenaline, as I'd never really done anything like that before in the street. It's different in the dojo. And I just grabbed his head and squeezed it. It's like a, a, a poor executed choke. I know I shouldn't do that. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to do, but I was just a bit... So, excited. do you mean like a rear naked, but like on his head? On his head. Yep. And, um, and... And Louis picked it up and we threw him, carried him over to the grass and I was squeezing his head the whole time, basically on his mouth. I didn't figure out till years later that he'd actually, a tooth had actually popped <laughs> out of his mouth from me squeezing his head. But I, he looked like someone that never brushes his teeth. He had yellow teeth, so they would have been hanging on by a thread. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was my first day on the yep. job. I'm yep. sure the police would have understood Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, yeah. and um, I'm not sure where you probably did your security training, but I've talked about this many times on the podcast. They don't really give you the tools that are necessary for if you're going to go into that environment. No, All they do is say, get back and push them. That's, that's the only thing they teach you. Get back and push. Yeah, and a lot of it you have to learn on the job, like what works, what doesn't work, you know, which is a hell of a thing to learn when there's some fucker coming at you trying to bite your fucking face off or throw punches or something like that. Obviously, uh, you know, things got a little bit different, so you stayed there for a while working with Huss's crew. 
Yeah, I was working there for years until they lost the contract. I think it was mainly because of uh, the, the bar staff were jealous because the bouncers would always root the bar girls. <laughs> I think it was the main provocative for us losing the contract. Yeah, okay. Because they weren't getting any action. Well, funnily enough, they've got the contract back, Sean. Ooh. So do you think you might make an appearance? Maybe. It's pretty... Excited, it's a pretty nice place there. I just hate working on the door. Yep. I'm good on the dance floor, I'm a good observer. Yep. I'm not a good communicator, I'm not good with people. Yep. I'm good at identifying aggressive body language early. I think that's what I'm good at. I'm good at reading body language, I'm just not very good at communicating verbally with humans. So for the people listening, what might be some signs, body language signs of aggression that you might see? Early stages, people will flock to a certain area. It might be a when you're looking at a crowd of people, you'll see an area become a little bit tighter if all you're seeing is heads bobbing up and down and then you'll just start seeing aggressive, fast movement in the crowd, and that's where the fights have begun. But, you know, that that's in a nightclub, but, uh, you know, in a bar, everyone knows. Pointing, raised voices. Pointing is a big thing. It's even a subconscious form of aggression because that person is actually wanting to poke holes in that guy. That's why he's pointing at them. Some places pointing at someone is classed as assault. Right. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. It's classed as the most aggressive form of body language. Particularly poking someone in the belly is one of the most aggressive things you can do because that's a very soft spot. That's subconsciously they're thinking about stabbing you in the gut when someone pokes you in the belly or they're saying, I can stab you in the gut even though they might not know that's what they're doing. Where did you go from the grape establishment? Grape, I was moved to a custom house. I worked there for a long time with my good friend, Fanasi. That It was a place where mostly nothing ever happened, but when it did happen, you'd probably be up shit creek because <laughs> a lot of the time you're there by yourself or there's two of your max. And I think I had my most dangerous occurrences were at customs house surely because there's no backup or very little backup i did a couple shifts there back in the day i used to work for a company called fat boy security mm. hell of a name right that's good and uh, most of the time when i worked there it was on new year's eve so it was like pretty pumping and i just remember one year that i was there it was like a couple of uh you know i don't know if they were bikies but they were dressed in the usual sort of bikey attire you know the tight the tight black jeans and the fucking old school you know arnold schwarzenegger terminator 2 boots <laughs> And like the fucking flannies with the sleeves rolled up and the and the tattoos on top of the forearm, forearms, you know, of some ridiculous thing like an angel or a fucking devil, but it looked like it was drawn by a five-year-old. <laughs> and uh, you just tell them, I remember they just try and walk out with their drinks and you tell them they couldn't take the drinks out and they just start smashing them and it was just like, oh, here we fucking go again. And But at the time we had a fella working on the crew and he was like Maori or one of those things. So it's a fucking big unit and he just used to just fucking pick them up by the back of the pants and toss him yeah so he was uh he was pretty good and i didn't really like customs because the clientele was quite old and when i was uh, when i was there i was probably like early 20s so i preferred the venues with the people sort of my own age did you ever do any shifts over at mobius yes i did a few there i i liked it there for a while until last time i worked there there was this barman with a ponytail and he was hell or annoying and acting like he was the boss and I just couldn't 
stand him after five minutes of talking to him, but I, and then I decided I wasn't going to work there anymore. I had one very hard removal from that place with the help of Mario. He was a, uh, abor- a large Aboriginal man, and he was just... Um, there was no one there, but he was just being too annoying standing next to the DJ and trying to say, hey, you're my brother, you're my brother, you're my brother. <laughs> and uh, the DJ had had enough. I actually thought he was a big Indian bloke when I first saw him, but when I started to usher him to the jaw, I realised he was incredibly strong. Then I thought, oh, he must be Aboriginal. And um, <laughs> then Mario came to help because he started fighting me back. He was at least... He was definitely a bit stronger than me. And Mario came to help and just instant and I could tell he probably thought he was an Indian as well, so yep. instinctively I I yelled as I was wrestling. I said, He's not Indian, he's Aboriginal <laughs> And then he, and I meant that out of respect, because that's yep. meaning that he's gonna be strong. Yep. And then he just went bananas and ape shit, which is understandable, and we Slow. That was the slowest removal. Just slowly pushed him up the stairs. All three of us slowly slow him, threw him out the door. He swung a punch at us outside, fell over and hit his head. And then we just sat on him until the police went there. But Mario said that he realised after that that all his martial arts training was useless because that guy was so much stronger than him that he. And there's no technique that he knew would have been able to get him out there by himself. But that's why we have teams. That's why yep. we can work as a team. Well, that's it. Should teamwork makes the dream work, as they say. That venue can be problematic because you've got to take people up the Upstairs. stairs. And, you know, I, I only ever did one shift at Mobius, and that was back in the day, early 20s again. And as soon as I, I've been working at Grape, I'd come over to, to finish the rest of the night at Mobius for a cashy. And I signed on to the crowd control register, and as soon as I walked out, they said, all right, you could just go stand by the DJ. On my way there... This fella smashed his stubby and stabbed this black chick in the eye with it. Oh, shit. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to fucking work at this place anymore. But the fact that there's only one person downstairs and I had to do quite a few removals, by the time you get into to the top of the stairs, you, you feel like you fucking ran a marathon. Absolutely. You're fighting gravity and a person at the same time. Yeah. And the, I mean, let's be honest here. The people that are at that venue are not just solely drinking piss. No. They're uh, in the toilets doing all kinds of pharmaceutical concoctions, which probably could transfer to those strength gains but i remember this chinese fellow was asleep on the couch and all i wanted to do was wake him up to tell him like it's time to go mate like a little nerdy fella probably you know did science or something at utas mm-hmm. woke him up as soon as i woke him up he f- sprung jumped into the air tried to punch me and he just happened to fall into a full nelson trying to get him there i mean he was probably 65 kilos but it felt like i was trying to move someone that was like a f- Fucking yeah, it's funny, skinny guys can surprise you sometimes with yeah. 65 kilos of pure hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it felt like I was trying to fucking, you know, it felt like I was trying to move a hippo or something and it was got to the stairs and then, of course, he's putting his feet into every single stair to get there and it was, yeah, I don't know if my radio wasn't working, but I'd called for backup. You must have known Kung Fu. And he's, <laughs> he's channeling his chi into the earth. Yeah, maybe. That's why he was so hard to move. Yeah, probably. Who, who would know? That was the only time I ever worked there. I got asked to come back and it was like, it was more trouble than it was worth because police kept calling me mm. to do a statement because the lady was stabbed. And I was like, look, 
legit, I just signed on to the register. I didn't see anything. I didn't see what happened before because basically he stabbed her and he ran out. So oh. it's not like you couldn't even stop the guy anyway before did she, you... Did she lose her eye? Well, I never really found out, but I'll tell you, it was it looked pretty goddamn... Oh, mang- it looked bad. pretty mangled. Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. I used to have a mate and he used to tell me stories... When he used to go, he was a bit of an angry fella. He used to tell me stories. He used to go to Mobius all the time. And how he used to dance was, um, <laughs> he used to dance. So he'd have like his hands moving one at a time, like in a direction, like he was mm-hmm. dancing. But what I, he was actually doing was people he didn't like. He was setting them up for a quick little jab. Ah. And he said he was used to do it all the time. So his hands are, you know, moving in like a 45 degree angle. And, you know, maybe someone bumps him and he just goes smack. Well, that's one way to dance, I suppose. Yeah. Dancing yeah. and fighting have very similar movements to them. Well, that's what yeah, well, that's what some people say, right? Exactly. So, customs, bit of Mobius. Did you do any of the ISO bar when it was open? Not the old one, just the new one. I worked there uh, while I was working at the hospital. I like it there. I like work, working at the new ISO bar because they just put me on the dance floor. They don't really let in scumbags yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well they don't let in obvious bogans there they're pretty sure. strict on the door and for how many people were there we d- didn't have that much trouble but uh people there was just a lot of people there so people would often fight outside the venue sometimes they tell yep. us to jump in when it got too scary i liked it there i actually saw a girl performing oral sex on a guy in the toilets when i walked in there like, you watch porn all the time and you <laughs> actually see someone else doing it in real life. So that was interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, did you let them stay or did you throw well, them out? Well, we had to, like, personally, <laughs> I would care, like... <laughs> you would have just let them go? If I, was, if, I was, if I was getting a blowjob in the toilet, I wouldn't want to be interrupted either. But, you know, they had to keep harassing them and telling them to leave. And Yeah, you know, right. I understand that, but personally, I don't care about things like that. That's why people go to nightclubs to find sex and things like that. Yeah, I was chatting to this fella that I know, um, and he came from Sydney. And he was saying when he first started doing security, he got this job. And look, this fella was international first. So obviously, you know, when he first arrived in Australia, his English is not so good. Like, and you know, when we talk Yobbo, sometimes they don't really understand what you're saying. <laughs> so he was telling me he got this job and he didn't realise that it was a gay club, you know, like a homosexual <laughs> was club. Was he Muslim? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he rocks up and the and the supervisor says, all right, mate, I need you to be stationed in the toilets. And he goes, why do I have to be in the toilet? Like, what am I going to do in there? You know, feeling uncomfortable, of course. And he said, look, you'll work out quickly what you need to be doing in there. And he goes, okay. And I said, what was going on, mate? And he said, it was like the fucking jungle at night time and the fucking chimpanzees were just going at each other. (laughs) It was just like cubicles were rocking, you know, like four blokes are going in and you're just hearing all these noises. Uh, What are you going to do, grab? You're going to... If you grab people in an orgy, you're pretty much involved <laughs> in the orgy. What? So it's just not worth it. Yeah, that so I think, you know, they just call for backup and remove them. But it was funny because he was like, I saw so many dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, you are in the male bathroom, right? <laughs> so you are in there. But he was, yeah, he was just saying he was... He was saying he was knocking on the door to tell these fellas to stop. And the bloke turned around that was obviously pumping the other fella. <laughs> and he goes, Eric, it's the biggest fucking cock I've ever seen. 
And apparently the bloke was like, do you want to join in? <laughs> and uh, that was, he said that was it for him. He said he'd had enough. And I said, well, why did you, con- like, you know, coming from an Islamic background, why did you continue to work at a venue like that? Yeah. That obviously, you know, your religion doesn't approve of. And he goes, they were paying me like 78 bucks an wow. hour. I'd work <laughs> I don't know about if I'd want to watch dudes pumping each other all night. It might not be worth the money. (laughs) Yeah, look, uh, I don't know if I'd want to work there either. But uh, very. I've heard they're the least violent venues in the world, gay bars. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't know because I've never, uh, I've never worked at one. So I, I couldn't really tell you, but it, I guess it'd be interesting statistic to look up. Ivory Nightclub was offering 80 bucks to people per hour. Yeah, I got fired from there. Did you? Yeah, I, I can't talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One question I've got, is it as bad as people make it out to be? Because obviously, you know, they've Being got regulars. Yeah, like if you're security... Is it as bad as they say it is? You know, like pretty much it's the Wild West, the Bogan version. Sometimes it is. Like 10% of the time, most of the time it's boring and nothing happens. But the only time I was really in the Wild West was at Customs House on Tradies Night. Ah, uh, yes. Violent Night of the Year. I wasn't really sure what it was at the time. <laughs> really, I've only been it 15 years. I'm not a born bred Tassie boy. Yeah. But uh, me and Saki were there, and we, there was all these very staunch, labourer-looking people in there, shoulder to shoulder, big stocky people. They just started fighting. But it yep. was, they were so packed in tight, none of them could really throw that good a punch. But me and Saki jumped in there, and we were just... Two of us were just trying to wrestle someone to break it up. <laughs> and uh, funnily enough, I did separate the two groups because some kid filmed it and filmed me separating them. Yep. And I fully looked like Goku blocking punches from yeah, right. two gangs at the same time. It's funny when you see yourself hyped up on an adrenaline doing yep. things like that. You said, wow, geez, I'm really fast. Yep. You know, when you got the adrenaline going, and I saw myself between two groups blocking their punches from both sides so they wouldn't hit each other, but they weren't really trying to hit me. They were just trying to hit yep. each other. I was lucky. And uh, there were people who were fucked up. Some people got some hits in, cuts on their face. But then it was like the Wild West is in, like every second you'd hear a glass crack. <laughs> like, you know what it's like. It's just like... Yeah. It's just like the movies when there's a proper bar brawl and everything just breaks and glass breaks and bodies hit the floor and there's blood everywhere. It didn't take too long and the police rocked up. They walked in with their helmets on, with their bike helmets on and just started smashing people left, right and centre. Yeah, right. It was like I was happy. I saw him. It was like Robocop. I just saw this big copper walk in with his bike helmet on and we we just threw everyone outside and it was really surreal like and in 15 minutes they cleaned up the whole pub wiped up all the glass and it just looked brand new again yeah and right. it was quite surreal and they just started letting people in again and it was like yeah it went from went from hell on earth to just a normal pub in about 15 minutes they got the show running again and that was probably the biggest brawl i've been in but i didn't get any hits 
luckily. I got one gay hit in the back. But I didn't get hit at all then, really. But that I think so that had a lot of potential for things to go bad. Yeah, definitely. It can be a dangerous job. Cage night. You ever work cage night on the Salamanca Strip? No, I, I never did. Or if I did, I didn't realise it. Can't remember. Yeah. But I was at uh, I was always at Customs House on cage night. Yeah. Okay. I might have worked at the arse end of cage night after Customs, but I can't. Rem- I don't have any um, cage night stories really. Cage night reminds me of that where everyone gets packed packed into the cages that they set up on the street. You know, when it kicks off, it's like, you know, a couple of sardines going at each other and you're just like, well... By the time I actually get through the pack of people, you don't even really know who was fighting or... Nah, they're you, more, know you know what's going on, who's you, cool you just, bad guys. Yeah, and you usually just get there and whoever came off second best is the only one left, you know, because they're mopping up the blood or their yeah. Calvin Klein t-shirts fucking ripped down the middle. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, so you worked in healthcare security as well. Yeah, I worked in um, the Royal Hobart for five years. I was either in the emergency department or in the psych ward. Yep. I could say they were the worst years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it wasn't, you had backup there. It was safer than working in a pub, but it's mental warfare. Those mental plagiarists, they play mind games with you. They, they pick and they be your friend for a while to find your weakness and then they'll turn it on you and just pick and harass you. They'll try and find out if you've got kids, a wife or a family and when they turn, they'll say, oh, I'm coming to kill your wife, kids and family that we talked about yesterday. Like, I knew that's how they worked. So I, I just told everyone I'm single, yep. I'm a loser, I live alone in a rental, yep. which I don't care if you burn it down. <laughs> I tell them I've got nothing and no one you can use against me. That's what I learned to do there. But I, the main thing I was worried about was um, diseases because half yep. of them have hep C, half of them have HIV, and I was mainly worried about getting bitten and getting AIDS. This one piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> this one. Fucking disgusting cunt. He would, he would, he would store milk bottles of his own piss <laughs> oh, in, his, in his cupboard because he thought the cure to his HIV was to bathe his feet in his own piss in a bowl <laughs> and, and just up. and just walk around covered in piss. He said, "Well, I'm HIV positive, so I need to connect the positive to a negative source, which is." my piss, and it'll reverse the positive. So yeah, he, he had a plan, is yeah, what so he was saying. like a battery. His, his <laughs> rationale was because it's positive, there's a negative end, like a battery, and yeah, but I'm, he's probably dead by now, hopefully. Uh, he, was a, he was a special character. Like, sometimes he'd be nice, but some days he'll just threaten that he was going to poison my food and give me HIV. He was the person I was most afraid of. He was skinny and weak. But I knew if he bit me, yep. I'd be fucked. And uh, he, I'd try and be nice to him. But he would stink the whole fucking place because he was covered in piss. He would shower in his own piss. I don't. I think he just did it to annoy everyone. Or I, I can't. Or not. No one can really rationalise. Uh, Yep. That sort of behaviour. It's a hell of a place to work, the hospital, and, you know, people that have never worked there as security, uh, I think, get a quite a shock when they go and do a shift there because there's a lot of different kind of people, a 
hospital and obviously you know when you're sick or you're injured or something you're not usually a very patient person or want to play by the rules but uh, if, if you've certainly got a mental health condition and you haven't taken your medication things can get uh, pretty wild sometimes and ED you just have to deal with the public a lot you'd always be watching the mental health patients as you know but shit would kick off in the waiting room a lot and you'd go and have to throw someone out the door what do you think was worse ED or psych ward depends who's there but if we are in the psych ward as in patients or staff uh, I hated both <laughs> uh, <laughs> well the uh, the the ED is easy to take because it's just filled with beautiful 20-year-old women that ignore you and you just have to do your best not to look at their ass. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you'd be fired if you look at someone's ass these days. Yep. And, you know, there's nothing else to do there, so I just try and stare at a wall. I didn't try to talk to the nurses. Yep. Because I knew... You know, they don't want to talk to me. They they see me as a piece of shit, <laughs> and I don't I don't try to be friends with them. Some people would try to talk to them. They get yep. fired for sexual harassment. Yeah. Well, the psych ward, you'd be in this little shoebox room, <laughs> in this behind bulletproof glass or whatever, watching these people wander around, and you're very there'd be like five people in this little office, and they pretty much want you to just sit there and shut up not get involved in any conversations and and i knew that's what they wanted and i just sat there and, and didn't talk to them but about one in ten of them would be all right and have a conversation with you but they just treat you like a piece of shit i got they they didn't treat you better like i did save them from being assaulted dozens of times but they would never treat you with any respect they just see you, you're like their punching bag because they get stressed. They know they can yell at you or treat you however they like and they're not going to get any consequences. Yep. Yeah, I see it as protecting the rats from the snakes. You've got all these rats <laughs> hiding in this room and there's all these snakes slithering outside about to eat them. But the rats aren't your friends either. They're disgusting. They run around chewing on each other's asses. That's how I saw it. <laughs> That's a very interesting analogy. Yeah, protect the rats from the snakes. Yep. That's how I saw it. Yeah, okay. So if there was a young man or woman and they said, Oh, Sean, I was thinking about working security at the hospital. Would you? What kind of advice would you give them? I'd say, yeah, do it. It's an experience. The money's good. And I'd say, wear gloves. I fucking hate the orderlies too. <laughs> I have, that's the reason I got fired, um, which is good because I hated working there. Orderlies, they walk around like they're fucking superheroes because they hold down skinny junkies when there's four of them. I don't think that's any reason to think you're a tough guy at all. Now, some of them were genuine tough guys, but they, they wouldn't act like dicks. They sort of, it's like being in the mafia if you're an orderly. You're government employed. You can walk around and do what you want. There's little chance of getting fired compared to security. Yep. And it was the same as the uh, staff in the psych ward. They knew they could treat the security however they wanted and there'd be no repercussions for it. Well, let's get into how I got fired from the Royal. So at this point you'd been here for five uh, years? five years, yep. yes. And... Uh, there was this big heavy metal guy he just assaulted a police officer and he was uh, unconscious. In, he was sedated in the emergency department and uh, they told me to search him and 
and that absolute dickhead orderly. He said, oh, don't take his socks off, it'll stink. And like last week, a guy smuggled a knife into the sideboard in a sock, so I knew yep. I had to do something. So I put my gloves on and started feeling his feet. For a knife, I'm trained how to search people properly from the military, and yep. I was giving him a thorough search. Yep. And, uh, and said, um, oh, does this come with a happy ending, mate? In front of like 10 uh, people. Wrong. In front of like the doctors, the orderly team and whatever. Yep. And I just laughed it off at the time, but uh, then afterwards it started to boil over and I yep. started to ruminate and I started getting angrier and angrier and I just, that's the point where I just lost my shit and I just went looking for a Yep. And I um, found him in a hallway and uh, oh, I said, I'm not too happy with your comments, mate. And he goes, oh, is that what this is all about? Because I was, I was on the radio saying, where are you? <laughs> and he said, oh, that'll be medical orderly. Thank you very much. And how he's being all professional and shit. And that's a load of shit. But I just, I just started calling him a fucking dumb piece, inbred piece of shit. And just everything I could think of. And I'd become, I could tell he'd seen that I was actually crazier than probably all the patients he dealt with in aggression wise. I let them see me who I really am. Yep. Yep. Up until that point, I was very um, submissive. Right. Yep. And passive. I would uh, just smile and go, "Yeah, I'm just a faggot, guys." <laughs> and they'd always pick on me, but I held it in because I needed the job. But, so you uh, let it, you let loose. And I you let, let him, loose. You let him think what I you really loose. thought about him. It's like Goku when he powers up and he's oil. He can, they could sense my aura for the first time. They didn't want to get aggressive back at me then because they knew I was about to fucking drop them. <laughs> and uh, they said, I'll grow up. Like, they, they know you're being immature. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, look, and, um, and then that was it. That, you were done. Then I was done. Got the message. I'm now banned from entering the Royal as a risk. Unless you're seeking medical Unless treatment. Unless I'm seeking medical attention. And then it was off to the end. Then it was at the end. It was a year ago now, and I'm glad it happened because I was going crazy. I could tell I was from dealing with all the crazy yeah. people. I Look, was, I was always angry. I didn't want to talk to my wife. I didn't want to just go back to my shed and drink when I got home and try and process whatever terrible things happened that day, whatever threats I received. And that's a thing, look, that I talk about because I did security at the Royal for probably two two years, just over two years. And at, towards the end of that two years, I fucking hated everyone. I hated Absolutely. the staff, I hated the patients, and I fucking hated half of the security team. And I think it was just that, like, just that place, everyone you, everyone you have to deal with is just not doesn't want it. they're not being nice to you like whether it's a psych patient or a regular patient they're just an absolute fucking cunt so you're just dealing with cunts all the time and then not only that but the staff are rude to you like it's a weird culture where they think all right well you're you don't actually work for the government you're a contractor so we're going to treat you like you're a fucking cockroach until someone fucking runs at me and then all of a sudden i'll scream for your help to save my life so you get it from the staff you get it from the patients and then the some of the security team are dogging you behind your back, you know, like saying, "Oh, like this," because they want your hours, mm. and they think 
that the route, the way to get those hours is to, you know, to dob you into the boss because, I don't know, maybe you fucking missed one data point or you said something to someone and it was just a weird environment to be in and I just, it was driving me nuts and, um, yeah, like even going for restraints, you know, and they talk about the use of force continuum, it just like if you're, get, if you're in a shitty mood and you have to restrain someone, it was like you'd go in straight away at the top. When top you, level. Yeah, when you probably didn't need to. you're agitated as yeah. well by that stage if this guy's been calling you a fat piece of shit all day. <laughs> yeah. And then you get to restraining, you're going to throw him onto the bed as hard as you can. Yeah. And looking back, it probably wasn't the best thing because you got, I mean, if you, if you put it into context, the person is severely ill and, you know, what they're saying shouldn't really impact you because you've got to realise that it's not really a personal attack on you. It's, you know, just whatever's going on in their head. But then it doesn't matter because if, you're a, if you've let the trigger get to you, then you take it out on them. Eventually right? you end up becoming like them. Yeah. Around them that yes. much. You become unhinged, ultra-aggressive. I would tell I was by that point. And that's why I lost my shit eventually because it just boiled over. Yeah. I remember working a shift with one of my good mates uh, who's an Indian fella and we're watching a fella in the seclusion room, Rev 7 in ED, and he kept coming out and fucking just saying to my mate, you fucking brown cunt, blah, blah, blah. Like, just kept mouthing off to him and it was like, my mate was sort of taking it, like, you know, all right, this is just part of the job. But it was, I don't know what, it was just really getting to me and I said, mate, if you don't shut the fuck up with your racist shit, I'm going to fucking put you back in that room and you won't be able to fucking walk back out. And then he just, I think he called him a brown cunt and that was it. And I fucking walked in. We both fucking walked him in, threw him onto the ground and I just fucking drive my knee with the gravity and just straight into his guts. And then, you know, and basically, you know, it wasn't good for him. And, you know, I probably shouldn't have done it, but it was just like, when is this person ever really going to get justice? Never. Well, you see the psych nurses, some of the good ones, they become like us like yeah. there was this guy who would always assault people he assaulted like 10 people i'm sure you know who i'm talking about yep. and uh this old bloke he said you know the only thing that can fix this bloke is the seven dollar seventy solution that's how much my bullets cost yep and you know they see that these people they're never going to get better they're just going to hurt a lot more people and then die yeah but uh, what do you do? Back in the day, they just chop their head off. Yeah. Something, you know, if someone's being a nuisance around town, you're always making trouble, you just hang them and forget about them. Well, I mean, the security of the hospital, some of them got really severely assaulted. Oh, absolutely. You know, like... Broken jaw. Assaults that would stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, and there was one gentleman who, he got pretty badly assaulted, and he came back, and I thought, why the fuck would you come back here? Because all I would be thinking about is... I'd be walking those halls and something would just trigger, you know, PTSD or something. The next yeah. minute I'd be in the corner fucking crying or something. I guess uh, I think everyone gets PTSD to an extent. Well, there's different levels. Like you might get a bit jumpy in a certain area. That would be classed as PTSD. But yeah, I don't know why. I think they just see it as e- easy money because a lot of the... Pakistani Indian guards, they hang back and they don't put themselves in harm's way if they don't have to. Yep. And why should they? Like, they're just going to get treated like shit regardless. But, uh, yeah, we have, but we have seen lots of people get assaulted there and some security guards didn't come back 
after they were assaulted. I don't think I'd come back if I took a beating like some of the people that took a beating, but I guess that's Oh, there just... was that old bloke who was there when I first started, this nice old bloke with yep. grey hair. He, he got his teeth punched out by a psych patient in emergency, but he was just targeted because he's an easy target. Yeah. That's why it's always the little guys who get bashed because these these mentally ill people just know they're not going to be able to fight back. Well, he'd been there for about 11 years and was never really got assaulted, yeah. but, you know, that was... That was it only takes one. Yeah. You know, and then there was the old supervisor and she got clocked out. Yeah. <laughs> and they thought that she was dead and they took her into recess and hooked her up to all the machines. Really? I didn't yeah. know it was that. I know she got knocked out. I didn't know she was Well, up. someone said to me, and I don't know whether this is true, but like, you know, sometimes when people have fits or something and they shit themselves, they reckon that she got knocked out and she shit herself. Shat, shat, yeah. Herself. Like involuntary, you know, her body, involuntary whatever, discharge. because she was like clocked out, you know. Oh, that's not embarrassing yeah well, <laughs> how come boxers don't shit themselves when they get knocked out used to it oh, i don't really, well maybe because they've been cutting weight and stuff there's nothing in yeah, their yeah guts. they don't have a bigger yeah big so, shit don't really know so are you currently doing any bounce bouncing work now or no, strictly I, just the end i like spending time with my family yep that's fair would anything bring you back yes um <laughs> money money well, I have... What's a good sum of money, do you think? Like, we talk an hourly rate, or you would want, you well, know... if I just... My general wage, if I don't do any extras, is a little bit over 2000 bucks. But if I do a couple of bouncing shifts, two bouncing shifts at, at O-Bar, or ISO-Bar, as they call it now, whatever it is, that I could bring up to $3,000 because they pay like 40 bucks an hour there, pretty yep. much. Yep. And that side would be worth it, but I do enjoy spending time with my kids these yep. days, and I really hate being around people. Like, that's what every security guard almost eventuates to. They yeah. dislike people. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're... worst in people. Definitely, and I feel like you eventually get to get to that point. When I'd been doing it for quite a bit of time, I didn't even like on nights off, like going out to bars and, and events because I didn't like being around people. Like, you know, when they touch you because there's so many people, everyone's rubbing shoulders, and mm -hmm. I didn't like that because I'd just be thinking about, is someone going to fucking punch me or is there going to be a fight and then I'm going to have to move away from it? Like, it's just weird kind of stuff. But even to this day, you know, like I went to the, what's that, Winterfest, sitting down at the fire and a couple of fellas came and sat near me and they were just already just being you know when you can you can tell those people are only talking to you because they they want you to say something that they can take as all right let's start a fight and you're just like why because it's like you've had a couple of drinks and i know i can just push you over you're gonna fall over so what's the fucking point mate well they just saw you sitting by yourself I wasn't even by, I was with one of my mates, but um, yeah, they were talking about, there was some fella sitting across from us, like good distance, probably a metre and a half, and this fella looked at us and said, oh, don't you just want to punch him in the face? And you're just like, mate, what the fuck are you even talking about? So they were just trying to pick a fight with you? Yeah, and you just think, like, why? What's the point? Because a lot of people find out when they pick fights with people that they can't actually fight that well. Well, I think they go around being smart asses and have gotten away with it for a, they get away with it for a long time. 
Yep. Maybe they do gang bash someone and think they can fight yep. when it's four on one. Yeah, true. But that's just what people do. All they are is apes, territorial <laughs> apes, trying to assert dominance. Especially with alcohol, they just return to the base level, their lizard brain. Yep. And act on the base level of intelligence. So you mentioned that you were, uh, you've got a bit of an MMA background. You did a bit of Muay Thai as well. Yeah, I started martial arts in the 90s and 40. 40 years old. I competed a lot in 1999 and the 2000 in boxing and karate. But uh, after my old gym closed in Brisbane, I didn't really have a place to fit in until I came to Tassie and I found Priscus Fogagnolo and I became his sparring partner because he found out I could box. And he would make me drink a 500 mil energy drink and he'd just tell me to punch him as hard as I can. And he would use his judo to counter it because back then he wasn't used to boxing because he's a judo expert. And it was just pretty much me and him in HTC. That was it. And from there, I started doing MMA classes because I knew I was only had a few more years left of being youngish and I just wanted to have at least one MMA fight because... It was the cool, the cool new sport back then. Yep. And yep. Before then, kickboxing was the hardcore thing. It was yep. Underground, yep. but now it's just mainstream. But yep. now MMA is mainstream as well. But you know the whole thing of fighting in a cage and with little gloves and at, at, at from the outside looking in, it looks like there's no rules. Yep. But yeah, we know there is. But that's yeah. what I want to do. I trained wrestling was hard for me to learn as a boxer, but I slowly learned to be defensive with it and to mainly just get out of bad situations so I could stand up and keep punching yep. and just learn a few basic takedowns. But in security, the small amount of wrestling and jiu-jitsu I do know is what helped me, not boxing, because you're not going to punch people in the head every shift, but wrestling, yep. you can easily take someone down who doesn't know how to wrestle, especially if they're trying to throw haymakers it's a lot easier than trying to throw haymakers back at them yep to just take them down as you know well that was my next question was did you think the martial arts skills translate to security i think it does but not as much as you think yeah because when you're a competitive fighter you think you're a superman yeah you think no one can touch you but when you work in a club or a bar and you see the way people fight there, it's completely different. You don't get a chance to warm up. Yep. You don't get to be ready. Yep. Someone's going to grab you by the jacket sleeve and hold your arms down while his mate punches you in the head. Yeah. So it doesn't translate 100%. You have to slightly shift the way you look at it. You have to be street smart. And uh, you can see people who fight in the street regularly are going to be more dangerous than a guy who trains in a dojo most of the time because they all, they know how to just wreck people easily in the street. I've seen a few people like that. They just had enough street fights that they know what to do, how to hurt people. But wrestling, guys like that don't really know how to wrestle either. They just know how to box most of the time. But wrestling is what saved my life a thousand times working in bars. Like uh, one of my best adventures was at a custom house. So I was, uh, it was a bachelor's party when these uh, Yobo-y guys were dancing around inside all night. They didn't come outside, so I couldn't really see how drunk they were. 
because they just stayed inside, but then they staggered outside and there was a guy there, a white guy with dreadlocks and one of these yobbo, this stocky yobbo guy didn't like it. He was probably calling him a poofter because of his hair, but this guy just ignored him and turned his back to him. And uh, I walked up and said, oh, just relax, mate. And then I just, I walked past him and then I heard this glass breaking and uh, he just bottled this this young bloke on the back of the head. And so I pump, I instantly turned around and grabbed him and pummeled him and he just clocked me with the right cross to the cheek and I gave him a right, left, left, right and punched him the ball. But it's funny when you're punching when you're not warmed up and you've been cold all night. Yep. It's not as hard as you can when you're training. So I, But your speed is the same. But yep. you can't, I don't think you can turn as much power when you're cold. But I just gave him fast punches. I punched him to the wall and I tried to uh, wrestle him again. But he got out of that hold and I and he got me with a massive overhand right right on the forehead and uh, almost knocked me down and blood just went right over my eyes a big massive cut and I said oh fuck this and I want to cop that one want another one of them and I wouldn't mind being cactus so I snaked my arm around the back of his neck and just gave him the guillotine ah uh, yes nice one when my knee hit the ground, I broke my knees into the, when it hit the concrete, I was kneeling in the guillotine, just squeezing, squeezing. And I said, settle down and I'll release pressure. And then he seemed to relax and I sat on him. I strapped, I got the mount position and I was so angry because this cunt had done me serious damage. Yeah. And he just was an absolute cunt for bottling this kid. Yep. And I said to him, I said, you fucking little cunt. <laughs> and, I was, and I was just bleeding profusely into his face. Yep. Like, you know, when you get a head wound on the forehead, it bleeds a lot. And I was just bleeding right in his face. And I said, I could beat the shit out of you right now if I want to do anything like that. <laughs> and he tried to get up. And and um, in MMA, when someone tries to get up, Stuart Dare taught me, you put your hand on their chin and push them down. So that's what I did. And little did, and little I know, I was smashing his head into, into the, the ground. Yep. I said, stay the fuck down. I <laughs> his head into the ground. My intent was just to keep him down. But I didn't, I, I'm trained as if there's a mat on the ground. Of course, yeah. I didn't yeah. comprehend that there was like yep. concrete hitting his head. But I don't really care. Well, you, so you're by yourself at that point. You're the only oh, guard. There at the was venue? an Indian there who just shat himself. Just watching. Well, he was, he was the stand-in. The stand-in, I don't blame, that was his first night working in a pub and he just seen some very violent shit and he was, and he tried to get involved, but I told him not to actually because yep. I wanted to get my ego back and yeah, get okay. this guy back so he'd hurt my ego. And I was, it was a bit like, um, I was a bit, in, I was inspired by um, the movie Fight Club where that guy's bleeding in his face and yell he doesn't actually beat him he beats him by bleeding on him and making yeah. him scared so i that's what i went for i said yep. i said to him you want some blood then drink it and i got a handful of blood and hold it over his mouth and made him swallow it 
so he couldn't breathe, so he had nothing to do but swallow my blood. Fuck it. So, Pete, so you went full nuts? Yes. Well, I am nuts. <laughs> you know, but when you're in that situation, your true self comes out. Yep. But uh, I just thought it was ironic that these people, they go out and they want to be violent and spill blood, so they have to drink every bit of blood that they spill. It's only fair. Yep. And so I remember getting two handfuls of blood and just holding it over his mouth and making him swallow it. <laughs> it's a bit like rape, actually. Love so rape. what was his react like? What was his he reaction was to this? Because <laughs> he couldn't breathe because I just choked him out. And, so yeah. did you... I, I imagine what that fella was thinking was just, I fucked Who up. I fucked up guy? here, you know? <laughs> I fucked up here. So what happened? Like police rocked well, up I, um, or well, let him go? Just after or? that, the police got there while I was sitting on him. I got off him and um, he was covered in more blood than me. Right? Yep. I said, that's all. They said, whose blood is that? I said, that's all my blood. And uh, they handcuffed him. And he said, he said, I can't breathe. And the policeman said, the fact that you're talking indicates that you can breathe. But we know that's not true. Yeah, George, exactly. George Floyd, yep. everyone knows you can yep. um, you can produce air from your throat and yep. talk without it going to your lungs. But he, w- I was just choked him out, and then I was sitting on his chest and covering yep. his mouth and making him drink my blood, so he didn't have much chance. He just needed to get his breath back a bit, but he was all right. Well, that George Floyd incident sort of opened our eyes up to restraint and, like, keeping people in prone and supine yeah. positions and saying things like... The thing is that people can talk yeah. and not be breathing. That's what everyone learned from that. Yeah, well, someone... I was watching a video one time, and they said, well, do this test then, right? So you breathe in as much as you can, and then you expel all the air out of your lungs, and then see how many times you can say you can't breathe. Right, and usually you can get three to six out, right? But technically, there's not you got nothing left. Yeah, and you got but you are still lungs. talking, right? I remember watching a restraint in Rev Seven, and the guy was saying, "I can't breathe," and the doctor said the same thing. Oh, you can talk, you can breathe. Yeah. I just, I got the fuck out of there. I thought if this can't dies, because if you read some of the deaths in custody, um, most of the time, you know, the people are put prone, and what they usually say is, "I can't breathe." Yeah. Or and they handcuffed behind your back sometimes. Yeah. Maybe they can't move their chest yeah. as much as they should. Well, it's quite, it's a weird thing because, you know, like currently I do the restraints courses for health service and sometimes I play the patient. And like when four fucking people are on top of you, like you can, you gas out pretty quickly, but then you want them to get off, but they don't get off. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, can be a horrible experience. Yeah. It's claustrophobic. Yeah. Like in, uh, see how it would feel pretty bad but we we all know once they're down to just hold their limbs yeah to not lay on them i don't think any of us did that when i was working there unless unless there was well that i think you were there that one one of the um bigger takedowns in in ed is when that guy um he, he left his bed and went out to get pissed and came back pissed and realized he'd lost his bed and he just walked into ED, pierced and started headbutting the wall because he lost his bed. And I just got him in the full Nelson. One of the good orderlies, Jamie, was there. And he yep. got him the guillotine and two, <laughs> two Indians grabbed him by the legs and we got him down. Yep. That situation, I had to just straddle him, sit on yep. his back because he was very big and stronger than probably yep. all of us. 
yeah, that in that situation, I had to sit on him because he was could have uh, hurt someone. But I mean, it's effective. Like you know, when you watch the police and stuff, and they put their knees on people, like put the knee on a limb, yeah. put the knee on the back. I mean, they do it because it's effective. But of course, it can be dangerous. Yeah. But it's like you know, what do you? I I guess for us as security officers, we probably steer away from it because if we get done, if someone dies and we did it, like I mean, basically we're all. Yeah, there's that story about the uh, police officer that dropped a knee on the Aboriginal man and broke his liver about 10 years ago. Yeah, right. And he, um, he took him down and leaned on him with his knee and that I guess his liver would have been probably pretty damaged from alcoholism, but that, that split his liver Just exploded. And, uh, and he didn't get charged because police get away with shit yep. like that. I read a, a death... I mean, they call it death in custody because the guy was arrested, but he was actually at a pub. It was in Cairns, and it was like... It just said he was a really big man, and he had a, he, you know had quite a few drinks, and security said, look, mate, you can't have any more drinks, and he just went fucking nuts. Apparently clocked one of the guards, dropped him, and then the other guard ran over to help, and he clocked him too, but the other guard was able to wrestle him to the ground. Put him, obviously, in the prone position, and the other guard came, and they held him down there, and they, you know until the police arrived and then um the police arrived cuffed him but i think it was only one officer came cuffed him and said oh we got to wait for the paddy wagon Mm -hmm. and meanwhile this guy was i think once he got cuffed he tried to get up and they pushed him back down and all three got on him and they're on top of him and um one of the reports said that all they heard was like a gurgling sound and it was like you're pretty much you're pretty much done. Like there's a point of no return where you even if they let you up and you breathe, it's too late. So he just hadn't breathed for like three minutes. Yeah. Oh well, the time from when he went down to when they found out he was you know dead and they had to do CPR was something like forty seven minutes. Yeah, it's too long to be sitting on someone. That's for sure. Yeah, but I mean the guards they didn't want to let him up because he basically dropped scared. him. You know, he was he was a lethal weapon, mm. and then the cop rocks up and he's by himself. So of course, and then he just he just kept fighting because when someone keeps fighting, well, what do we do? Yeah, we put more pressure on, and then they fight a little bit harder, and then we put more pressure, and then before you know it, we're all going pretty hard. Yeah, it can it's a risky have, business. Yeah, it can have dire dire consequences. And you think, well, you think, do you think working at a nightclub, you are paid enough for what you actually have to do? Sometimes. Like when it's forty, at least forty dollars an hour, I think is good. Anything less is pretty shit. It's just some of the situations you get yourself into, and you just sometimes you walk away and you just go that good. Imagine if that went bad. Like, is what I'm getting paid really enough to deal with that? I think I think it is. Yep. But because uh, a lot of the time I'd be doing basically nothing, just standing there. Yep. But I think forty. $50 an hour would be better for venues that are very dangerous. Yep. But we all have heard of some people getting $100 an hour just because they're desperate or they yep. know these guy, this guy's a really tough dude, so they give him $100 an hour. But uh, the future of gardening <laughs> is going to be interesting yep. because we're entering the dystopian area of this society. We've reached the pinnacle we see what's happening now. It's going to shit. Yep. More chaos, more violence, more uh, tax rates. People are going to be stealing more. People are going to be more desperate in the future. There's going to be less food. Yeah. Food's going to be more expensive. So the future of guarding could be interesting. We could be standing around with shotguns in 10 years and bulletproof vests like in like in Indonesia or yep. Africa. Well, 
also we've got that woke culture, you know, where everyone seems to be entitled or think they're entitled, you know. Well, I, I align woke culture with the latter stages of the Roman Empire <laughs> when everything was... They reached their pinnacle in society. Everything was so easy that all these people had to do was sit around and talk absolutely shitty philosophies while they got other people to do all the work for them. And that's just... I see them as a sign of the degeneration of our society where people think the biggest issue is wearing a dress or what pronoun yep. you want to be called and all these things mean nothing. They're insignificant problems, but it's just goes to show the deterioration of the mentality of Western society. That's what always happens when societies get too rich they become decadent and lazy and people become degenerates like romans they just sat around having gay sex orgies at the end of the roman empire and drinking wine and that's pretty much what woke people do sit around and have gay sex orgies and talk about what pronouns are going to be used that week but um, going back to when you were talking about security and possibly they might have to have shotguns and stuff he used to be a, a canadian fellow i don't know if you remember him he used to work at the hospital he was security then he went to the orderlies yeah paul he's yeah. cool so he was he used to work for a cash and transit company in canada he said before he moved over and uh, i said okay you know they give you a piece and he said yeah yeah so he had the nine mil and he said he also had a pump-action shotgun. And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah. He was telling me this story about one day. And I was like, oh, in my head, I'm thinking this is going to be a really cool story about someone trying to rob him or, you know, and he just fucking, I don't know, did something. But he was saying, you know, he's so they rock up to this massive bank. He's out the front with his shoddy in ready position. And he goes, oh, he goes, I used to love it, you know, because girls would drive past and they'd be like, woo. And I said, oh, did you fire off a couple of rounds? You know? <laughs> Did you fall off a couple of rounds? And he goes, nah, I never did that. But he goes, thinking back, I should have. That would have been pretty cool, right? I said, yeah, a couple of girls drive past and they start woohooing and you just fire off a couple of rounds into the sh- into the oh, air. Oh, no. Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> I remember flying um, back from Thailand one year and um, I had to stop in Kuala Lumpur Airport and the security there had machine guns. And I thought, I felt I had to, because you walk in through, because I was transiting back to Australia, you walk through this transit lane and they're all there in like the ready position. I'm just like, fuck is this like have you ever seen banged up abroad and next minute they pull you into a room and yeah they're a, searching your asshole for fucking heroin it's not what we're used to seeing people yeah. standing around with machine guns yeah. it can be pretty intimidating to us yeah definitely once definitely. at singapore airport i was sleeping there on this uh, lounge with my missus and this uh group of police were going around checking passports and I was woken up to five guys standing around me with M16s and I just freaked out and they just could tell I freaked out. Yep. And uh, they said, sir, sir, relax. Because, uh, yeah, it was... Just, relax or we shoot you. Yeah, it was uh, just uh, wasn't good to wake up to. Yeah, no good. All right, so, Sean, I put up on the Secchi Life's Instagram and said, does anyone have any questions that they would like to ask you? And there was... One question that was asked quite a few times, but we'll get to that. I'll talk about one gentleman's question first, which is quite extensive. So, who is more annoying to remove from a nightclub? The entire Clarence Football Club celebrating a grand final win or one student in their first year of a law degree at UTAS? The football team would be more annoying, more obnoxious, physically stronger and outnumbering you and would say more crass things to you. Yep. And 
no one person is going to be able to throw out an entire football team. Yep. Law students will only gain power once you've already evicted them. They'll come and talk shit to whoever's at the door telling them all the laws that probably don't exist and yep. how they're going to get sued. So the Clarence football team would be more annoying. But for me, I'd throw the uh, lawsuit out the door and then let someone else talk to him. Yep. So I would get zero annoyance from him. Yeah, fair enough. I wouldn't even talk to him. Those law students can be quite interesting because, you know, you tell them about the Liquor Licensing Act and they still don't want to listen to you. They say, oh, you've got no right to do this, you've got no right to do that. And it's like, well, if you want to find out what kind of rights I have, just keep fucking chirping. Yes, well, one lawyer, one aged lawyer, he said that if I took my drink off him, he could legally sue me for theft. Right. And that doesn't make sense to me because why don't thousands of people... That happens every night. Yeah. So why don't thousands of people sue him for, for theft? And I just said, well, it sounds like you don't want to obey the rules, you can leave. Yep. When you finish that drink. Yep. <laughs> so I let him finish the drink and then he <coughs> then threw him out. Problem solved. With people like that, sometimes, like this is what I used to do at the repub because people don't want to fuck off. And just say you have six regulars and they, they just slowly, slowly, you know, you've already told everyone 20 minutes ago that they've got five minutes. And then majority of people have left, but it's the fucking punters that are the regulars and they stay and they're just milking it, milking it, milking it. And you're just like, you need to leave. And then you get to the final two and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going. And it's literally like, you know, the dregs is left in yeah. the wine glass. And you're like, are you serious? So I used to just, if they're having a conversation, I'll just stand ridiculously close to them and then just uh. stare at one of them <laughs> so that they get so uncomfortable that they just fuck off. And, you know, it was working a treat. Good idea. I'd probably start laughing. If I <laughs> but yeah, that'd work. But at Customs House, they'd probably usually let the regulars stay there as yeah, long as okay. they wanted. <laughs> yep. All right, second question. Has anyone pulled a weapon on you while you're working? So this could be in the nightclubs. It could be, um, you know, hospital or probably rarely at end. But you never know. Oh, someone, it was pretty harmless, but... I, I, I think we can say patients' names because we don't work at the hospital anymore. Yep. He just um, woke up from his coma, his rug-induced coma, and he was adamant that I'd molested him in his sleep. And uh, he p picked up a butter knife and started waving it around and because he thought we'd all raped him while he was out. We just yelled, put it down, and he did. That was the only time someone's pulled a weapon on me Personally, at work, I was, when I was 13, I got stabbed by an Aboriginal boy in the, more of a slash actually, 40 stitches oh, yes. in the wrist. Looks like I tried to commit suicide. It was it was an underhand slash, like a ninja. Right. Because I, I grabbed him by the shirt and I didn't know he had a knife in his hand. He saw an underhand. Right. Slice me open to the like, bone. Like um, Stephen Seagal in Under Siege when he's battling with... Tommy yeah, it was Jones. like uh, that underhand yeah. style. He was he was my my best friend was an Aboriginal. That was his older brother who was okay. completely nuts. But right. my friend was cool. But um, I didn't go to the cops because he, he tried to make out that it was an instinct. Because he was vomiting in the toilet after he stabbed me. So it's, he didn't really want to do it. He just can't control his actions. Right. He just... He just can't control his bad behaviour. Pretty okay. sure he ended up going to jail for the rest of his life. But yeah, that's when I got an early introduction to true violence at a young age, I think. 
Yeah, yeah it was a good lesson. Yeah. So no other. Okay. So we'll move on to the last question. Now this was requested by a lot of people. They want to know about the time that you took down the machete wielding taxi driver. Yes, one of my greatest achievements. <laughs> and this made the news, right? You're on the yeah, news for this. I was on the news. I was on the front page of the Mercury. That's that's up in my shed, so I don't forget that 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 picture of me in the mercury's pinned to the wall yep that was um i'd say that was probably the highlight of my security career and i felt like a hero society treated me like a hero after that like every security guard kind of wants to be seen as a hero but they never actually do but that was good it was um it was just another night and there was a group of about five young, well-to-do people crossing the zebra crossing. It was quite. They all looked tall. They all. So where are we first? We're, we're at our customs, customs house. house? I'm okay. just standing on the door, looking out as always. In that little zebra crossing that goes to the park, there was people walking from customs house across that. These tall, good-looking, intelligent people. They're yep. all. It was quite strange. They were all over six foot, including the girls. Right. It was like they were just superior. They were just... The Norwegian, upper, mate. Yeah, they were just like upper class people. Yeah, okay. And, and um, this cab driver, he just drove through the middle of them and, and cl- even clipped one of them with his mirror as if they weren't even on the crossing. Right. He hit one with his mirror and, you know, this guy's angry because his girlfriend because he got run over. Yep. And he runs after the cab and slaps it. And the cab driver stops and he opens the door and they're yelling at each other. He obviously didn't like what the Indian cab driver said. So he slammed the door and started kicking the door. And so this... And his mate was pulling him back at that point. He was away from the cab. But then I saw this cabbie going to his to his boot, his the back of his vehicle and I knew he was going to get something. I thought, oh, he's getting his tire iron, the knob. Yep. So I was walking over there to intercept him. I looked over his shoulder as I was about to grab him and he was grabbing a machete, a hook machete. Have you, If anyone's seen the cane machetes, they have a forward... The The blade was about two foot and it was ended with a forward hook. And at that time, I just thought he was a terrorist because it was the same time as the London Bridge stabbings. Yeah, and okay. I just thought, no, oh, he's another, another Arab about to stab everyone. And I had a fe- I had a premonition that this would happen. I told my dad that I discussed with him how to disarm someone with a knife the best way. My dad always said, if you're fighting someone with a knife, don't fight them. Get control of the knife. That's the most important thing because it doesn't matter if you punch him. If he stabs you at the same time, you're going to be the one dead and you're going to be fine. It's good advice. Yeah, so always fight the knife, not the person. And then once you get it out, go for the thumbs, get them to loosen their grip on the knife. Then you can stab them or whatever. (laughs) Mainly fight the knife, get it out of the way, then fight the person. This time it wasn't a knife, it was a big machete. And I was behind him. I was lucky he hadn't seen me yet. And I saw him get the machete out of the boot. And I just yelled, fuck, he's a fucking terrorist. <laughs> and I grabbed onto the blade as he was grabbing on it with two hands. 
and we were re- I was behind him. And are the- you on the blunt side, obviously? No, I'm on I had the sharp, sharp side. side. Right. Got a tiny little cut on my pinky. Right. But uh, it's uh, I was the uh, bronze medalist at the World Broadsword Championship, so I'm trained to disarm longer knives. That's a move we do is uh, block and then disarm. Yep. You know, I'm used to fighting with swords, so I wasn't as intimidated as probably other people would have yeah. been. Because I know with a sword, you need to have space and momentum for it to be damaging. Yep. A knife can be more dangerous up close because they can stab you. So I was wrestling around yelling, Call the cops! Call the cops! It's a terrorist! <laughs> and this girl started screaming, and I eventually got him into the full Nelson from behind, and uh, my mate Thanasi pulled the uh, machete out of his hands and uh you know he's a good bloke he's kept a cool head and he's he said do you know what you're doing <laughs> and he said this indian guy said yes yes i know what i'm doing and so i just held him there in the full nelson and i said you're going to fucking jail cunt you fucking terrorist <laughs> so at the time i just i just thought he was a terrorist you know yeah he looked like one the police were luckily driving past at that exact moment and they came over and uh, they said, is that your machete? And he said, yes. And he then they arrested him and took him away. The next day, well, I got, in, I got interviewed by the police. I went a bit nuts after that. <laughs> I, was, I painted the blood from my hand on my into war paint on my cheeks because uh, I knew it was a profound thing that I'd just done. I knew there'd be good repercussions from it for my reputation. And I, was, <laughs> I was hepped up on adrenaline and I yep. stood there with a, my face painted in blood on the door. For the rest of the shift? No, oh, they told me that they told me to pipe it off and uh, I did. And then the police interviewed me and uh, about what happened and they said, you probably stopped something worse from happening. Yeah, I'd say this guy was just vengeful towards Australians because he cop so much abuse as a cabbie that he was just waiting for an excuse to get his machete out and get his revenge on uh, on uh, drunk Australians. And yeah, I told I told the police what happened. Then I went to Grape and Mario said, is it true, Sean, what you did? You disarmed a terrorist? And then I said, yep, it's true. And, uh, and I saw the, um, I posted the picture of myself on Facebook and it went viral and all these trolls were commenting saying that he wasn't a terrorist and that I'm racist for calling him a terrorist and it got to I got to see people arguing that same internet bullshit that people always argue about when anything happens and I was the subject of it and people were starting to turn against me like even my friends really yeah were starting to like like the comments of the people that were abusing me and I it was traumatic. I went home and I just started drinking because the adrenaline was still going. And then I freaked out because I found that I was now in the spotlight and all these people were observing me and, and ridiculing me. And so I had to delete the post. I deleted all my Facebook friends and just, just did, I didn't want to be scrutinized anymore. But I, yep. just, I just obviously got a bit nutty from the event. Yeah, the next day I got in a... Me and Thanasi got interviewed, we were on TV, and uh, I was on the front page of the Mercury, and for the next two weeks, people would walk past Customs House and call me a hero, 
And that was cool. But you realise how quickly heroes get forgotten once you become one. In two weeks, I was just a piece of shit again. Everyone was calling me a loser and a fat fuck. <laughs> so the Lord Mayor <laughs> didn't give you the key to the city no, for that? there are no keys to this city. <laughs> it needs a lock to have a key. But uh, yeah, I, I guess front page of the Mercury is the best they could do. Uh, and did you ever find out what happened to the fella? Pretty sure he got off scot-free. I don't think anything happened to him. Right. I didn't. He tried to contact the Nazi on Facebook for some reason and he blocked him. But I don't know what happened to him. I don't care. In a roundabout way, um, that is what helped me get my job at the hospital because I applied for Wilson and they said, oh, but he's got an assault charge 20 years ago. But then someone said, oh, but he's the machete man. And they said, oh, the machete man will give him a job. So really, that's what helped me work with Wilson, who I'm working with now. They probably wouldn't have hired me because of my past criminal record for previous bodily harm when I broke someone's jaw in the Air Force at a pub. But, you know, to be judged, you know, you can't judge someone on 20 when they're 40. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. I mean, so if you look back at your career... I mean, it's still going. You're still in the industry. What was your favourite workplace? It's the one I'm at now. Halloween last year, I was just patrolling around and looked behind me and there was a guy walking up behind me with a five-foot Gandalf-style staff in his hand. And I just said, what the fuck are you doing here? And he just went, obviously iced out of his mind and then he just ran off. Yep. But uh, I think he was obviously going to break in. But what gets me is he saw me and was coming towards me from behind. So if he hadn't, if I hadn't turned around, he possibly might have hit me in the back of the head. Back of the head. And there's no backup there. If someone hits you in the back of the head and you get knocked out, you're fucked because there's no one will know till morning and people start arriving. They said that was the only incident they've had in seven years where someone's tried to break in. You know, one thing happening a year, it's a pretty safe place to work. Ah, good stuff. So, security. Do you think someone should be a certain size to get in the industry? Or do you think someone's better off if they're... It doesn't matter what size or gender or build they are, as long as they can communicate effectively. They both work. Like, a big guy who can't talk at all is going to be useful... And uh, someone who is small and can talk very well is going to be useful as well. Let them work together. Everyone, but being big obviously helps. Being strong helps. Being intimidating helps. When you actually have to get physical, being big does help. I've seen good female guards. I've seen good small guards. But uh, you can be small and you can still be strong. You'd be strong enough when there's a team. If you can grab someone's leg, then you're doing your job. If there's three little guys grabbing one big guy, you can still take him down. So I think um, I think resolve is important. Like some people, I've seen seven a guy literally seven foot tall who would freeze up and do nothing when something kicked off. So I guess it's about uh, who you are is more important because. Doesn't matter what sort of body you've got, if you turn into a little girl when something happens, then 
you're going to be useless. So if you got the goods inside, is yeah, more important. As cliche as that sounds, it's, uh, <laughs> I'd say it's true. Nah, it's all good. Yeah. Now, have you ever seen the movie Roadhouse? Yes, I have. I was told I had to see it because I'm a security guard. Who told you that? It's this wog that I used to work with. He said you have to watch Roadhouse if you're a security guard. That was I don't movie. think it's. I mean, I don't think it's applicable to this day. But do you think there was ever a time, you know, where they would call up a gentleman like Dalton to clean up a venue? I'd say absolutely yes, and you could see he was the most non-violent guy there. Like his falsy was be nice. That's what he said in the movie: be nice, be nice, be nice. Yep. That's uh, that's how you get yourself out of bad situations by being nice. But you know, the, and then the movie just went to big brawls because they make it interesting. But that's what a guy. That's what uh, I was told when I started security. He said, "Watch Roadhouse." What did he say? He says, "Be nice to people," and yep. I think that gets you out of lots of things. But sometimes being nice isn't enough. And that was the other thing, wasn't it? He said, be nice until you can't be nice anymore. Until you can't be anymore, then you just got to... Bash him. Bash him, I guess. So you've got martial arts experience. To someone getting into the industry, would you recommend martial arts? And if you did recommend martial arts, what would be the martial art you recommend? Uh, MMA, because it covers everything and does a lot of wrestling. Boxing and kickboxing, they give you the confidence not to be scared of people, but if you... Punch someone every shift, you're going to lose your license in a week. You know, you're not going to be able to justify it every time. In my whole security career, I've only punched two people. The rest I use wrestling. I already talked about the first one. The second one was um, a bit like poetic justice. <laughs> so I, the first time I worked at Customs House on the Sydney to Hobart. That's where all the sailors go after they finish the Sydney to Hobart. And we don't let anyone else in and they just have run of the place and they let them get as drunk as they want, let them do as much coke as they want and they act like a lot worse than we'd usually tolerate people because they're the Sydney to Hobart guys. First year I worked there, they were all harassing me, calling me a loser and a shit bloke and I did nothing about it. The next year... One of them rear naked choked my boss, Haas, from behind. And because uh, he was breaking up a fight. And uh, so I rear naked choked him from behind until he let go. And then I pushed him out the door and told him to get out. And then he said, Oh, we're getting serious, are we? And then he hit me. It was the gayest hit I've ever copped in the side of the head. And then I just gave him a straight cross to the nose and he went down. His mate tried to get me, but the other guard pushed him over. This cop, see the Sydney you know, Hobart guys, they've got the rich guys who own the boats and the young jock, the younger generation that does all the winching and physical work. And he was one of those, one of the young jocks. But they all, they're all, most of them aren't really sailors. They can just afford boats. They're just uh, rich, posh guys. That's what I found from them. It was good to break his nose because I copped so much abuse from them the previous year. I think it was probably the same group anyway that was abusing me that year. And and uh, he just was bleeding from the nose and just, he knew he couldn't compete with me physically. So he just verbally abused me and just called me a fat so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. But I just laughed at him because he kept bleeding more and more. And there was nothing he could say that would upset me because I just kept pointing at his nose and laughing at him and he just, Walked away ashamed. Interesting, like, I did a couple of 
Sydney to Hobart's at Customs. And, uh, you know, that was quite eye-opening that they would just let... If you if they were off a boat, they could just literally drink as much as they, they wanted. They drink until they pass out in the pub. Yeah, because I remember one guy flopped his dick out and started pissing on the floor, and I was like, oh, time to go. And the manager was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's all good, just leave him alone. Yeah. I thought, why the fuck have you even got to see then? To keep other people out and let them stay in. You know, it was just... <laughs> and obviously, they that venue is going to get a lot of cash for having them there yeah. because I remember one year, I can't remember what happened one year, something happened and the security had to intervene. And then there was talks that the Sydney to Hobart was now going to go to a different pub the ah. following year. So that I think they had to do a bit of, uh, you know, ask kissing. Yeah. A bit of ask kissing to get it back. I usually ask everyone that's on the show. Have you ever had like an, Oh fuck moment? Like maybe you try to take someone out of the venue and you grabbed them and you realize they were super strong and you thought, you know what, this might end up really, really bad for me. Yes, I have. There was this young bloke and he, I wasn't that scared, but I just grabbed him by the arm. I hooked my elbow with his elbow, but he had huge biceps, huge arms, and he just squeezed my arm. It was like bicep on bicep, and he was just crushing my arm with his arm. And I was like, oh, shit, this is going to work. <laughs> so I changed my tactic because it was just like he was crushing my arm just by flexing his bicep. It was pretty embarrassing. But I, if they got strong arms, you just get control of their spine, get behind them and push, and not many people will be strong enough to resist that we got him out i could see i could see when i first started i working security i'd just throw anyone out no matter how big they were i maybe i was a bit stronger back then because i'd just come out of being an mma fighter full time but now this seven foot tall black guy i pushed him out of the pub by myself but looking back, that one could have gone really bad because yep. he would have had a tremendous punch and fast and he said he was going to look for me and that was like a, a wake-up moment. Say, geez, maybe I should, I better change the way I do things because yep. now this big seven-foot African guy is out to get me. I need to uh, be a bit smarter with how I do things so I don't get people... But I mean, that's good to have that re- to have that realization that yes, what you're currently doing is not working. Uh, I've mentioned before when I first started, you know, I was 19 years old. It was like 2008, 2009, 2008. I think it was 2008, and uh, I only had some some Muay Thai, and uh, you know, watching Roadhouse, I started working at Ice Bar, and my go-to was just a, you know, if you didn't want to go, I'll give you a quick jab. If you didn't want to go again, I'll punch you again. <laughs> but I quickly learned that I was like, if I this is probably not the the way to do things, and that I'll probably lose my job if I continue to do it. Because when I did the security license, they only taught us one move, and it was this it was this ridiculous move that would never ever ever work unless you stood there and let me do it. Mm-hmm. Because it was like this Steven Seagal, you know, you grab them by the wrist and next minute they're like this and you just walk them out like that. Yeah, you know? no one even does that anymore. <laughs> exactly right. And um, shortly after I'd moved to Queensland and it was there that I'd learned actually how to do restraints where it was control and restraint um, because you had to because it was legislated. So, and if you went outside of that, the cops would pretty much come after you. So there was no rear naked chokes. There was none of this sort of stuff. And it was interesting. But even some of the things that they were teaching, it was just like as if this is like ever going to fucking work in, in real life. Absolutely. 
But I think what they do here is they teach you have your hands up and say get back. I think that is a good uh, yeah. safety catch for yourself. Yeah. Like, it looks good on camera when you say yeah. get back, get back, yep. and then you do something because they didn't get back. Yeah. Well, one, I remember one boss said to me, he said, always put your hands up because it, it looks good on camera, but he goes, also from your hands up, you could quickly palm someone to the face yeah. and it won't really show up. You just got to have your palms towards them so it looks passive. If you have yeah. your palms towards yourself, it looks like you're in a boxing suit. Yeah, it looks the old school boxing. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, it's good for distance management, but it's also some people might read your body language and just go, oh, well, fuck, you know, they don't want any trouble or whatever or stop. Mm. And, and that's happy days. Have you ever shaped up to anyone in a boxing stance while doing yes. security? I had a, at a great. Uh, I was went up to talk to this guy because there was some issue and he just said, fuck off. And I said, oh, that's your attitude. You can leave. And I pushed him towards the door. And he, he seemed like a country boy, a big country boy. He got into a boxing stance and I got into a boxing stance. Then he just walked out like yeah. he thought he, knew, he saw that I was going to actually go. And, and he walked out and left. Yeah, okay. I've yeah. only ever done it one time. And I was working at a venue that sort of caters to 18 to 20 year olds and I was standing on the front door it was just me and the venue manager and the venue manager was quite notorious for just yelling profanities at people as they <laughs> came towards and there was two African blokes coming towards us and um, the venue manager goes no black cunts like oh. and of course they heard and I was like oh fuck yeah, this now. is the venue manager and so they said, what? And I said, oh, no, he didn't say anything. Like, it's all good. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And like, one came towards me and I pushed him. And then the other one sort of shaped up and I was just like, well, it's two on one now. And then I shaped up and then it was just... But I remember saying to myself, because I knew there was a camera behind me I knew there was a camera across the street looking directly at me. I was like, quickly change your hand positioning because if it does go down, they're going to say, well what the fuck were you doing? Yeah. So I quickly changed those positions. But nothing really happened. I sort of talked my way out of it, which was... So yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, which which was all right. But um, yeah, I thought it was a bit... It was it could have been a bit hairy, but worked out all right. Good night working a crowd control shift is you don't have to do anything. Yeah. When that's you have to do stuff, eventually. yeah. When you have to do stuff is, you know, you don't want... But there's some people that love it, you know. They, they want the trouble. Well, there are times when I did want the trouble. It depends what my mindset was at the time. My greatest fear was always getting my teeth punched out because basically everything else can heal, but you can't grow your teeth back. Like, you get that scar on my head, who cares? As long as you don't get eye damage or uh, or you lose teeth, pretty much almost everything else can heal. Bones can heal, teeth can't. Well, that's very true. You can get some fake ones. So if someone came up to you and actually we'll, we'll hit a different style. If you could have your time over again, would you still enter into the security industry? Absolutely. And why is that? Oh, there's just nothing else I can do, really. <laughs> I don't have a trade. Yep. I'm a pretty good labourer, but um, you get more money in security for doing a lot less work. Like some people are meant to be doctors, some people are meant to be lawyers, some people are meant to train in martial arts and occasionally fight people guarding something. You know, everyone has their place in society. If I was back in the day, I'd be guarding a castle with a halberd and a suit of armour, I'd say. 
But yep. back then, being a guard was more prestigious. You could probably get away with a lot more. No one could say anything to you, or you could just chop them. No one would mind. And do you think you build good relationships in security? Like, are some of your good friends yes. security guards? Well, they bouncers? were until I stopped being a bouncer. It's like... Uh, and then you lost the love. Well, once you're not in that group, you're just not yeah. cool anymore. Once you stop being a bouncer, all those friends, they stop uh, inviting you out. They stop answering your Facebook messages. It was pretty sad. It was like when I stopped being a pro fighter, like everyone at the gym who I thought was a good friend, they stopped giving a shit about me because I wasn't in that group, same as bouncing I, but I had made some very good friends, like Thanasi, who I worked at Customs House with. We always hang out. Yep. But uh, a lot of friends you make in security, you'll only make because you're working with them every weekend. Once you stop that, you'll probably lose them because that was the only thing that uh, made you associate with them. But for a while there, I had a whole... I used to go out with the bouncers all the time in a big gang, and I thought, oh, I'm finally cool. I got all these cool young friends there was all these 19 year old girls hanging out with us and i thought this is what i wanted to be when i was 20 yep you know? and it was good to experience but uh, once i wasn't a bouncer I, I wasn't part of that world anymore that's fine and do you think you'll carry on with it until retirement yes i'd like to work it forever yep to be honest. you love it yeah i love it there I, i'm out of trouble I get to be alone because the worst thing about security is dealing with fuckheads every day yeah. and at that place I don't have to deal with any fuckheads. What was interesting when I first worked there I'd walk around and I'd just get angry for no reason because that was what I was used to doing at the hospital like I'd always get angry at the hospital because something had happened and then I'd go there walk around patrolling and I'd just start getting angry because my brain was wired to get angry whenever I worked. And in a few months, uh, that stopped and I just stopped being angry at home. And, well, that's uh, good. Yeah, I stopped being an alcoholic. <laughs> so do you think it's important for people working in security to have some way that they can like healthily de-stress or yes. look after themselves? I'd say exercise is the best for years. At my early days at the hospital, I was a full-blown alcoholic. Some days I'd just get home and start drinking Yep. try and process everything that happened and then I'd wake up hungover and the next day would be even worse. Yep. And eventually I just stopped drinking entirely and I barely drink anymore alone. I don't drink alone yep. anymore. I just got sick of the hangovers because it wrecks the next day. But yeah, it's, uh, you got to find a way to cope with stress in any job but there can be a lot more stress and security than other jobs. I'd recommend sports as opposed to drugs and alcohol because then you'll just end up like the people that you're restrained. <laughs> and we touched on, I said, if someone wanted to start the hospital, any advice, and you said, yeah, go for it. What about anyone that just generally said, you know what, Sean, I'm thinking about, you know, getting into security. What do you recommend? You know, what should I do? Any skills I should take up, you know, should I get on the roids and start pumping iron, you know, would you, what kind of advice would I'd you I'd say me? any physical fitness is good, roids, um, I don't like, nothing can be worse than your ball shrink, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you uh, get as muscly as the Hulk, it doesn't justify the, the end. 
Yep. You know, having no balls, it, uh, it's just not worth it, no matter how strong you get. But I'd say martial arts. Go to the hybrid training centre. They're the best place to learn martial arts. See, they're good, they're good uh, people there. Do you think doing martial arts, or if there was a place that ran structured scenario-based training for nightclubs and security would be better? No, because everyone who's done security knows that those are all loads of shit. (laughs) I've never never heard... Because you don't do any real-life fighting. You don't... You do a scenario which doesn't work. Like, everyone knows that scenario martial arts don't work when you know what they're going to do and they comply. You need to have something that has a little bit of chaos in it, someone that's actually fighting back, someone that's actually trying to hold you down. You need the realism. What if it was one of those legit ones where you put the full face covering, you put like the little sparring MMA gloves and they play loud music, maybe they'll get you to do 100 push-ups so you're already fatigued. Well, that would be... Yes, I've never seen one like that, though. That would be yeah. you know, useful, I'd say. That would be useful. Actually, your one was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The one I did with you, that was actually pretty good. I did take a few good things away from that. But nothing you compare to a regular guy that trains in martial arts of course because it's a skill you need to build that up you can't just do a course once and then expect it you learn something but if you want to be competent it's a skill you have to constantly apply definitely someone down definitely is there anywhere that you had never worked that you think that you might have liked to work i used to want to work for blackwater oh yeah yeah when i was in the military i thought i could make money with a the mercenary company. I wanted to be a mercenary. I wanted the big bucks. Yep. I wanted to shoot people. I wanted to be a Rambo. <laughs> but uh, you know, as you get older, you realise that you probably would have just got your head blown off. As well. <laughs> like you see what's happening in Ukraine these days, and you see the reality of wars, and uh, yeah. it's not pretty. It's no, like, it's definitely not the, like the Sylvester Stallone movies. Yeah, it's not. It can yeah. sometimes it is. But uh, some people are just very apt to fighting with guns. People like women who haven't picked up a gun before, they were forced to, and she's become the best sniper in Ukraine. She was just naturally gifted at it. Yep. But I don't think I'd be that good as a sniper. I'd get they'd, they'd see me. I'm pretty good on a heavy machine gun, though. That used to be my favourite thing, was the Mag 58 machine gun. But uh, war is hell, I know yeah. now. All right, well, we might wrap it up now. Is there any shout-outs that you want to give to anyone or maybe any stories that pop in your head that we haven't covered yet that you'd like to share with the audience? I think I've covered my best stories. Yep. The only other thing, I, I have had to say no to sex a lot. <laughs> well, so, like, now, that's something that hasn't been brought up so far in our episodes. Yeah, well... I'm an introvert. I've never been that much of a stud. But by the time I was working security, I was a married man. And girls would just walk up to me occasionally and just say, come home to me, you want to fuck? And uh, why didn't that happen to me in my 20s? Yep. I should have... That's that's interesting. If I didn't lose my license for breaking that guy's jaw in the Air Force, I could have been a security guard in my 20s and had loads of fun. But I probably would have just come out with herpes... Yeah, you know, but my life would have gone a totally different way. Yep. I would have been a totally different person. But saying no to young, beautiful women asking for sex who you don't even know, that was interesting. 
Like, I had this one girl, this young blonde girl, she's couching with this young guy, and she said, um, do you want to come home and fuck me on the spit with this guy? And I said, oh, I'm a married man, sorry. And she said, oh, she won't know. I said, yeah, she will. <laughs> she'll find out somehow. I'll just, she'll just look at me. <laughs> she'll know. I, she's that type of lady, you know, I'm not very good at keeping secrets. You know, I wouldn't cheat on her because I know it, she'd find out for sure. And uh, I'd just <laughs> probably tell her because I'd feel guilty about it anyway. But yeah, saying no to sex, that was... Uh, that was something they don't teach you in school. And you think that, that it should be a subject? Well, they should discuss it. They'll tell you the women are going to be more interested in you than they probably ever were before just because you're a bouncer. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's not always a bad thing, but if you're married, it can, it'll wreck your relationship. If you, uh... And was there one venue that was more... The, your your sexual offers were more prominent than the I was the others? nightclubs. It was... It was uh, Ivory and uh, and ISO Bar. Well, there you go, kids. If you're looking to get in the yeah. game and you want a bit of fluff, <laughs> head to Ivory. Get to Ivory, mate. And not you only stand we... up straight and you got to, your hair slicked back. With <laughs> cool. Any shout-outs you want to give to anyone? Shout-out HGC for teaching me how to biffo cunts and wrestle. <laughs> shout-out Priscus Fogagnolo. Shout out Rob Wilkinson, he's about to become a fucking world champion in a few weeks. Fucking shout out to Thanasi, help me get that machete out of that cunt's hand. Fucking shout out to all the bogans in Hobart. You scum, you filth, you fucking pieces of shit. You're fucking brainless. The only thing keeping you alive is the dog, cunt. My fucking taxes, you're worthless. You scum. All the junkies at the fucking hospital, die, eat my shit. You fucking nuts. The only thing keeping you alive is welfare too. You fucking act tough, but you're nothing. You're a junkie. You should die. 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 Well, thank you very much for joining me for episode four, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks to you for having me.